HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier, free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Greenhorns Radio. This is Severin. I'm your host this week, every week, on Heritage Radio Network, a um, grassroots out of Brooklyn. But today we're talking about Baltimore. Baltimore, everything is Baltimore today. Wow. Today is the day of talking about Baltimore, and I'm on the phone with Anna. She works for the city of Baltimore. Isn't that amazing? How are you doing over there? Pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, busy, very busy. Good. Um, Did you think that you were going to go into city government when you were in eighth grade? I sure did not. I um, When I was in high school, I actually went to school for theater, so I was into the art scene then and did not have my sights on community work at all. So you don't call it government, you call it community work. Yes. So what I'm, I'm actually not um, placed in the actual city government. Um, the program that I'm working with is very community-based. It's a lot of outreach into neighborhoods. So they've actually placed me at um, a nonprofit in southwest Baltimore, which is the uh, area that I'm working with um, that has been doing some of the kinds of work that I'm um trying to promote in the area already so that I could build on some of what they were doing already instead of just plopping down and creating my own new thing. Well, now, wait a minute. What kind of thing are you trying to do? Well, I work for a new initiative with the city that is attempting to get communities, uh, community organizations, and neighborhood groups, or just residents to adopt city-owned vacant lots and turn them into community-managed green and open spaces. Um, 
they there's an adopt a lot program that's always been with the city, and um, they recently renovated it so that uh, the adopted process is a lot more sustainable. Previously, you could only adopt a lot for year-to-year leases, and you had to contact the city's Department of Housing every time you wanted to do something, like put up a fence or plant a tree. So now you can adopt a vacant lot for up to five years, and you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you're not building something permanent. So building houses and no doing illegal activity, obviously. And illegal ha- and illegal activities would include building houses on urban, open, lo- open lots. Illegal activities, I'm more thinking like selling drugs. That's a little bit on the prohibited side. But um, if you do sign a contract, yeah, you're not allowed to do anything that uh, could be considered a permanent structure. So you can't put down, you can't build a house, um, it needs to be something that could be taken away uh, if need be. A I guess this is a little bit not, not what you would necessarily want to talk about, but so are people squatting on fine. Um, open lots? Did you hear my question? No. Sorry, say that again? Oh, okay, so here's my question. Uh, well, I guess it's not a very good question. I'm going to change my question. Uh, okay, here's my new question. Uh-huh. What were you doing, what were you doing before you started doing this, and how did it qualify you for, for doing community outreach from a kind of a government position? Sure. Um, so I graduated from college about almost a year and a half ago. And I took some time off to travel, um, but when I moved back to Baltimore, which was about nine months ago, um, I, you know, like a lot of people in my generation, looked and looked and looked for a job and um, settled on doing some unpaid internship work first. And unpaid internship work was with this nonprofit that has been active in Baltimore City for like 70 years, 70 plus years, and uh, they're kind of an umbrella community organization group. And two of the things that they focus on is, are, which uh, led me to the position that I have now, are one, um, community development work. So they work directly with community organizations on behalf of um, residents and try to promote what actual community groups, like small, you know, blocks want to do and see their communities um, doing. Um, and they talked with, with the, on behalf of them with the government or developers um, and just advocate for them. And the other thing is um, they do a lot of housing-type practices. So recently, and the nonprofit is called Citizens Planning and Housing Association, or CPHA, um, and they do a lot of fair and equal housing practices. So this is really important in Baltimore because we have a lot, a lot, a lot of abandoned properties, and that um, that directly leads 
into, um, you know, what I'm doing now because what happens when these abandoned properties are neglected for as long as they are, which can be, you know, 40 plus years, well, they eventually need to be torn down because the foundation sags, the roofs cave in, um, the, the whole house just like starts to deteriorate to the point that you really need to like bring it down. So that's part of why Baltimore City has so many vacant lots um, because of some of the white flight that happened in the 70s. A lot of people left the city. A lot of houses were abandoned, um, and eventually those houses had to be torn down. So a lot of the vacant lots in the city that are just, you know, abandoned, like open parcels of land, um, that can be used for people, um, they're also, they, they have a lot of gunk in them. You know, they're, they're sites where houses were torn down. So that's a lot of, like, bricks. That's a lot of glass, um, concrete still in that foundation. But so previously I was working with um, CPHA for on behalf of neighborhoods to try to get rid of absentee landlording which means you own a property, you're neglecting it, it's, like, deteriorating, and you're not putting any money into it, and eventually it's going to have to be torn down. So, so. so here's a question. That's very, that was a really good backstory, and I appreciate your um, having some nice structured thinking there. But the, the, the question I have from, you know, the generation that I'm in is, why start a community organization? Do people like? Does it occur to people in neighborhoods to band together in order to apply for grants? And and how do they go about that process? I mean, how do you determine what a community organization? How organized are they? So it, it depends. Um, it varies a lot, neighborhood to neighborhood. Some neighborhoods have a really active community organization. They have articles. Um, they have a president, secretary, et cetera. Um, and some neighborhoods are not organized at all. Um, some don't even really have any acting organization. Um, Baltimore is known as a city of neighborhoods. And I think that really rings true. It's a city made up of a lot of different neighborhoods, and every neighborhood has their own uh, unique makeup. And um, I, I, you know, I can't speak for other cities, so I don't know what the you know black to black sort of representation is like in other cities. But Baltimore is fairly active in terms of community groups. So even though you have some variance on, like, how active they are, um, usually most neighborhood groups have one. So a lot of the work that I've been doing is going to these neighborhood association meetings. We usually have one a month in the evening, and they're open to whoever, you know, in the neighborhood. Um, they're usually held on the same day each month. So... Whoever wants to can go, and it's sort of an opportunity for people to come and talk about what's going on, plan events, work together for the benefit of the community. And um, so I've been going to those and telling people about this new program, telling them to get in contact with me if they have, you know, questions or comments or concerns about particular vacant lots um, and trying to spread the word a little bit. So that's what's called outreach. That's what's called outreach. And you get paid to do that outreach. 
Mm-hmm. Get paid to do the outreach. I'm also there for people who do decide to go and adopt a lot. Um, I'm there to help them through the adopted process. I'm there to help them find access to water, to apply for grants, find funding, plan fundraisers if they want, um, find plants, find materials to do what they want to do, find them uh, access to the tools they're going to need and uh, generally be there for them to figure out how to get in touch with the resources they need to make their dream on that vacant lot become a reality. It's amazing. You're, it's like you're it's like a buddy system or like like pen pal for convicts or like, like a guidance counselor, I guess. Yeah. I wish so, we had a service like that for farmers, I must say. It's kind of a, it's it's definitely a unique sort of position. One thing I'll say um, that, like, I think Baltimore is picking up speed a little bit in terms of, you know, their greening efforts and their sustainability efforts. And right now there's sort of disparate groups all doing similar kinds of things, and it's really um, an access issue. It's getting everyone to know what everyone else is doing and getting those people in touch with, you know, the actual residents that want to do sort you know, projects on a vacant lot, for example. And, um, yeah, I think it's really important, you know, especially, like, hey, for farmers, you know, not in a city, just to, like, have some sort of informational base, like database or something where you can just be able to, you know, very easily find what you need, the knowledge or the information or places to go get materials that you need without, like, feeling like you're out there on your own because there's definitely people out there that want to help or do what you're doing too. And I think a lot of times people just don't know how to find each other. So, and that kind of brings us to another, you know, pretty predictable point, which is that um, there's people who've been living in those communities for a long time, um, and there's people who are moving into communities. Oftentimes, places like Baltimore and Philadelphia, cities that are super affordable, are attractive to young people coming right out of college who may be seen by the community that is already there as gentrifiers um, and kind of over-aggressive users of government service. How do you how do you address that kind of dilemma? With, what do you mean exactly? Like new people coming I in? Mean, people are coming into the neighborhoods and sometimes taking, you know, thinking like, oh, nobody's using this lot. I'm just going to use this lot. Um, mm-hmm. What would you, like, maybe counsel that person in terms of community process? Um, and also just, like, mm-hmm. explain your own psychology on um, how you, like, address and prevent tension between, you know, residents who've been there for a while and new residents. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I always, always tell people if they're interested in doing something, you know, somewhere that they're not from to, before they do anything, get in touch with, you know, every sort of figure that has any kind of power that they can see around. And that can even just be, you know, 
Mrs. Jones on the corner who's been there for 70 years. Um, and that's something that I learned uh, during a study abroad in Madagascar. It was uh, sort of study, you know, learn as you go kind of process. And, you know, they would take us to villages where we'd never been before, and uh, we'd have to, you know, build our network. And we're obviously complete strangers. And, you know, the first thing you do is you figure out where everything is, where everybody is that knows something that might be able to help you. You go to all those people. You introduce yourself. You find out, you know, what is going on in the place that you're that you're now new to. And, you know, you don't trample on anyone's feet because if you're trying to do something like a big project, you know, it's really about teamwork. It's really about networking. Um, it's really about being able to bridge gaps with people because lots of people have things that you might not even know that you need. Um, and obviously Madagascar is like a foreign country and, you know, it's like far away, but I think the same thing applies to like new places wherever you're going, you know, you just see what the lay of the land is, um, you know, try to like go out and like figure out who's doing what, introduce yourself, make sure that, you know, people know who you are and what you're doing. And, you know, teamwork always makes things better. So, okay, this is really good. I really like this trajectory because it also brings, um, it brings up for me being really clear about what your kind of purpose and mission and goal, like goals and like, you know, in that conversation that you're having with Mrs. Jones or with the pastor or with the community uh, group or with the social club that's on the corner, whoever, uh, framing that conversation in terms of, you know, I'm interested in this outcome. What outcome are you interested in? Are there any, like, um, documents about process or how that, how that um, like, an approach? Because I know that there has been in some cities conflicts, and I, I think it's you know really important to tag for people, um, you know maybe freelance, but there are, there are attitudes that that, that are attached to it. Mhm. Um, I personally don't know about you know documents that you know just anybody can find, but uh, I will say the. Part of the philosophy that I'm working on or working with is comes from uh, the AmeriCorps Vista program, and you know one of the things that they teach and they you know do with their new vistas and their orientation program is uh, go over you know a what poverty means um, and within that definition building. You know, the fact that poverty is not just, you know, a homeless person on the street or someone on food stamps. You know, poverty means, uh, you know, a recent college graduate that's paying off debts and doesn't have a job. You know, they might be a middle-class, you know, white suburban kid, but, you know, they literally, you know, they don't have a job and they have to pay off debt. You know, that's poverty. Um, and also just recognizing where you're coming from really stopping to think about what your biases may be, what your background is, and how that is probably going to affect 
how you see other people and how you work with other people. And also acknowledge what other people's biases may be. You know, don't don't get mad right off the bat if someone is late to a meeting because you don't know what happened. You know, they may have been in a car accident, you know, but, you know, just really acknowledging, like, you don't know the whole story about everybody and other people don't know your whole story, so just you know, relaxing a little bit and, like, having a little bit of kindness to share. But other than those, you know, words that I just said, I don't have a document to give anybody. But the philosophy that I'm working under comes from that kind of just, you know, it's almost like a civil rights movement thing, just, you know, love your neighbor and uh, work with everybody. That's wonderful. I really appreciate That's very thoughtful what you've just said. And um, I know from speaking with Malik, uh, what's his name, Malik Khalili, or, uh, he's from Detroit, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, very articulate about um, self-determination of communities and the political power and autonomy of communities and very much grounded in, you know, the kinds of rhetoric from the civil rights movement. Um, he's really into this whole deconstructing racism course, Mm -hmm. Uh, and pretty much like everybody who gets money in Detroit for urban farming has to do this deconstructing racism course now. They got all Uh this money from the Kellogg Foundation. But anyway, um, that would be something to to just check out if if this sounds relevant to you. um, Yeah, definitely. Consider considering it. Definitely. Uh, Do you have any um, exciting news or events or resources to tag or things to pitch that you want to make sure radio people are hearing? Well, if anyone is in the Baltimore, D.C. metro area, we're having a workshop on October 26th at the Bon Secours Community Works Center um, on the basic steps to starting a community garden. Um And other than that, I'm going to give a little shout-out to my region and encourage anyone that is doing greening or gardening work in the Delmarva and beyond region to just take a step back and think about watersheds and the health of the Chesapeake Bay because I think it's, like, a really, really important thing. I think a lot of people, um, you know, some people don't even know what a watershed is, and it's really integral to, uh, you know, the foundation of our life, which is being able to have access to healthy water. And the Chesapeake Bay is in a lot of hurt right now, and um, a lot, like, part of that has to do with farming, you know, pollutant runoff, part of that has to do with cities, too much concrete, and storm drain runoff, and, you know, trash on vacant lots, you know, water running through them, picking up all those pollutants, so anyone that's in the greater Chesapeake Bay area, like, whatever you're doing, even if you just like gardening, and you're in your backyard, like figure out how you can make your gardening techniques, like, benefit the bay, that would just be super awesome. Hey, nice thing, nice call out, nice call out to the Chesapeake. 
there, and uh, I just went today in the Hudson for the first time since Irene, and man, it was still really dirty. I just awesome. came out my shower. It was a big old mud hole. <laughs> uh, yeah, our waterways are really packed, and um, uh, there's a very cool, I mean, while I'm on the, like, total tangent mode, there's an app um, that just got released from NOAA, which is the mm-hmm. National Oceanic and Atmospheric something or other you know, paid for by federal money. And it shows um, it shows basically GIS-based photos of Hurricane Irene damage the day of. Uh-huh. And the point of it is to, show, to like, basically give um, first responders and residents a little bit of insight of where the weak spots are in their, in their seawalls, where the creeks run over, where the rivers run over, where there's flood, flooding, et cetera. And obviously every storm will be different, but just getting to know the kind of intricacies of your land, the landscape near you and just tuning into that obviously is um, preparedness mm-hmm. for the next event, which in all likelihood will be sometimes in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we can take for, for, uh, for granted, but it's really important. Definitely. Well, I'm really thankful, and I don't take you for granted. I don't take it for granted that cities like Baltimore are understanding their future in terms of these revitalization efforts and recruiting young, uh, ambitious, thoughtful, energetic people to uh, enliven their programming with such things as you're doing. So I thank you very much for bringing your service back to Baltimore. And... uh, Mm -hmm. Let, it, let them know. How do they find you if they want to look you up, if they want to look up their government program that will support them in this urban, urban lot restoration project? Sure, yeah. So the initiative is called Power in Dirt, and it is with the Baltimore City Mayor's Office. My name is Anna Evans-Goldstein, and I am doing Southwest Baltimore. There are three other very lovely ladies that are doing other areas of Baltimore City, and any one of us can help you get more information about the program. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, and hello, hello everyone. Do tune in to Greenhorns Radio this week and another week. There's lots of events coming up, policy, me- policy measure to check out, and, um, you know, in general, much to be done. So, so, so I'm glad that you're going somewhere, and, and keep going. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.